All right, a couple things before we get into the message this morning. First of all, welcome. I'm glad you're here and uh, looking forward to getting into Luke chapter 8. But prior to that, uh, I just want to let you know that we do have some invites. Um, they've been printed up and ready for distribution. And um, so we're going to open it up to all the outlets, which is you. Which, uh, and uh, <laughs> so grab your, um, uh, your invites to a candlelight Christmas. It's a youth benefit concert being held on Saturday, December 16th. And it's here at 6.30 p.m. Um, and so it's just a special time. Preparations are already underway. And uh, looking forward to that evening. So again, these are available at the information table. Make sure that, that you pick some up so you can hand them out and, uh, t- to everyone that you possibly can. I, um, I also, as of course, uh, what's on our mind is, uh, is Israel and everything that's happening in that area. And I, I want to remind you of some things, perhaps it'll help you, because sometimes we can be overwhelmed. Although we know, you know, we shouldn't be overwhelmed, we shouldn't be anxious about anything, we shouldn't worry about these things, we can't help but do that as we are bombarded with the news that we have coming at us 24-7, and so we can, you know, we have these mobile devices that we can tune into at any given time, and we find ourselves checking up on that, um, Constantly, And so I want to remind you of a few things. In Matthew chapter 24, in verse 3, Jesus said, as he, sat, as he sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately saying, Tell us when, all, well, when will these things be and what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? So we're not the only ones that are asking these questions. We also know the disciples that would come to Jesus and ask him as well, what will be the signs? What, what, will be, what will happen in the last days? And so he answered them in this way. See that no one leads you astray. For many will come in my name saying, I am the Christ. And they will lead many astray. And you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not alarmed for this must take place. But the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom, and there will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All these are but the beginning of the birth pains. Then they will deliver you up to tribulation and put you to death, and you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. And then many will fall away and betray one another and hate one another, and many false prophets will arise and lead many astray. And because Lawlessness will be increased. The love of many will grow cold, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. And so he makes it abundantly clear. There also, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, the apostle Paul wrote to the church in Thessalonica, Saying this, now concerning the times and seasons, brothers, you have no need to have anything written to you, for you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying there is peace and security, then sudden destruction will come upon them as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. But you are not in darkness, brothers, for that day to surprise you like a thief, for you are all children of light, children of the day. We are not of the night, nor of the darkness. So then let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep awake and be sober. 
For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk and are drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love, and for a helmet, the hope of salvation. For God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, so that whether we are awake or asleep, we might live with him. Therefore, verse 11 encourage one another and build one another up just as you are doing. And so how fitting it is to simply read that section of scripture and encourage one another with those words. And so we ought to keep in mind that in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 verses 13 uh, through 17 or, the, uh, or 18, we have the rapture covered there. And so just a reminder, something else as I just wrapped up, uh, the Old Testament and my devotional time with the Lord. In Zechariah chapter 12, as far as Israel is concerned, in Zechariah 12, 2, it says, Behold, I'm about to make Jerusalem a cup of staggering to all the surrounding peoples. The siege of Jerusalem will also be against Judah. On that day, I will make Jerusalem a heavy stone for all the peoples. All who lift it will surely hurt themselves. And all the nations of the earth will gather against it. Now, we understand that this is, this is taking place. The stage is being set uh, for Israel to be attacked from all sides. We, we know that. But as we approach those times, we ought to look up. We ought to understand that um, we will be raptured uh, without further notice <laughs> because all of Prophecy has been fulfilled prior to the actual rapture of the church. And so, for us, we ought to be found faithful. Just honoring the Lord, walking with Him, drawing closer to Him. Um, leading others to salvation by declaring the gospel and sharing it with others. And so, that's what I encourage you to do, to do that very thing. Amen? Amen. Father, we thank you, Lord, for... Your faithfulness. We thank you, Lord, that you are on the throne and you are sovereign. And so we ask, Lord, for the peace of Israel. Lord, that you would be with them and you would continue, Lord, to protect them and guide them, give them wisdom, insight, discernment. And Lord, may your will be done. So we lift them up to you. And all those who are suffering, Lord, the, the loss of loved ones. Uh, Lord, we ask that you would bring them great comfort, Father, as only you can. And, uh, and Lord, that you would surround them with people that, uh, that will also be there, used by you to do that very thing. So we lift them up to you and pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so let's turn in our Bibles to Luke chapter 8. Luke chapter 8. We're going to be mainly covering the parable of the sower, and yet I've entitled this morning's message, message The Parable of the Soils. You can just basically, we're going to focus in on the soils. That's the main focus of that parable. Um, we see some constants as far as um, that story is concerned, that parable um, that illustrates something that is... Um, uh, that is applicable to the very word of God, the sower, and then the, the seed, and then the soils. And the soils is the variable. So let's begin, though, by reading Luke chapter 8 and verse 1. 
Soon afterward, he went on through cities and villages, proclaiming and bringing the good news of the kingdom of God. And the twelve were with him, and also some women who had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities. Mary called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had gone out, and Joanna, the wife of Chusa, Herod's household manager, and Susanna, and many others who provided for them out of their means. And when a great crowd was gathering, and people from town after town came to him, he said in a parable, A sower went out to sow his seed, and as he sowed, some fell along the path and was trampled underfoot, and the birds of the air devoured it. And some fell on the rock, and as it grew up, it withered away, because it had no moisture. And some fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up with it and choked it. And some fell into good soil, and grew, and yielded a hundredfold. As he said these things, he called out, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Once again, Father, we commit this time of study into your hands. Lord, and as we do, may we be attentive to what we have before us. Lord, not being like those who hear and quickly forget. Lord, help us, Lord, to remember these things, retain them, that they may be used by you in a way that ministers to us and Lord, we are better for it and we are given to you into the work of sanctification, Lord, molding us and shaping us into an instrument that is used by you to bring you glory. And so, Father, we thank you, Lord, for your word. We commit this time into your hands and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So, <clears throat> as, you, as we think about the gospel of Luke... And we consider what Luke had written in the beginning of his gospel, telling Theophilus, uh, Theophilus means lover of God. How it is that, the, that, that Luke had undertaken the task of compiling a narrative of the things that had taken place among those who were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word. Luke himself, having personally followed these things closely for quite some time, and the reason for all of this, as a reminder to us, is that Theophilus, the lover of God, may have certainty about the things that he had been taught. And so it is a reminder for you and I today that perhaps you've been taught these things. You, you've gone through this parable time and time and time again, and yet here we are. Theophilus probably had already heard this. And yet, Luke was presenting this for him as uh, the source being God himself in what was written here for the benefit of Theophilus and for you and I as we come to study his word and this parable once again. For those who have heard as we read and study the word of God, it is that you may be certain about the things that you have been taught regarding Jesus. I don't know about you, but I need, I need reminders often. You know, reminded of the thing, even communion. Communion we do often here at Refuge. 
And yet, as my wife and I pray after we take those elements and we go back to our chair and we sit down, I am reminded once again of the love that God demonstrated to us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. It puts things in proper perspective. It sets the heart right before God. And so as I give myself to the Lord, I'm reminded of that. I'm quickly taken from perhaps being self-centered and I'm here about me to being focused on the Lord, being reminded of his love, his faithfulness, his mercy, his grace. And so although you may have heard these things, may today as we go through this section of scripture, have this deepen in your own hearts taking root perhaps that you may be even more fruitful. That you may continue to give yourself to the work of sanctification or that the word would be clear in your own heart, that you would be given understanding and then live it out that you may honor Jesus Christ whom you follow. Again, Luke wrote, That the lover of God or Theophilus may be certain about the things he had been taught. John wrote that one may believe and in so doing would know eternal life through faith in Jesus Christ. In John chapter 20 verses 30 and 31. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And that by believing you may have life in his name. And so with this in mind this morning, as we read, we learn about these women and the 12 and the others that were with Jesus. Specifically, they were there to support Jesus in his ministry. They were his followers. But mainly, as I said earlier, we will go into the section of learning about the sower and the seed and the soil. That as we learn about this, that perhaps we would consider What happens with the word of God when it is dropped into the soil of our own hearts? Sometimes we think about it as just in general, this is what happens. I'm already saved, and so does that really pertain to me? Yes, actually, it's happening this very morning at this very time right now. Again, God wants you and I to be certain about the things that you've been taught. And God wants you to understand his word. To believe so that you may have eternal life, number one. But secondly, also, that you may enjoy abundant life in Christ. That you would know that peace that surpasses all understanding. That you would have the hope of having your purpose. You would know with no uncertainty that your purpose is to simply bring glory to the Lord. You know, Romans 10, 17 says, so faith comes from hearing And hearing through the word of Christ. This is what happened to the 12 disciples. As we mentioned them at the beginning of this chapter. What happened with these three women. And the others that were following Jesus. They were listening to him. And their faith. Because they were hearing the gospel. Proclaimed. Was increasing. They were all hearing Jesus teach and preach the gospel. But as we will learn, not all who heard believed, not all held fast to the word that they heard coming from the very lips 
of the Son of God. They all heard the same thing. Each one of you are going to hear the same thing this morning. The question, as it was then, it will be today. Why do not all respond the same way? Now listen, the word is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. It can expose things in your life that ought to be exposed. That word that is used for the word in Hebrews is, is one of a scalpel. It's one of precision. And so, of course, with us, what happens is we respond perhaps in a different way because we are in a different place. And at the same time, it should come across being interpreted in the same way. So one interpretation, many applications. And so that's what I pray this morning, that the Lord reveals your own heart and that you would allow the Lord to do surgery in your life this morning. Because, again, all of them heard, but not all of them responded in the same way. We're, uh, we're about to learn what happened with the word in the individual's hearts and what happens today in the hearts of individuals as well. So let's uh, again, uh, in Luke chapter 8, verse 1, uh, this is a group of unusual followers. Uh, soon afterward, he went on through cities and villages, proclaiming and bringing the good news of the kingdom of God. And the twelve were with him, and also some women who had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities. Mary called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had gone out, and Joanna, the wife of Chusa, Herod's household manager, and Susanna, and many others who provided for them out of their means. Unusual followers, and I'll explain why. Now, prior to that, as we see here explained to us, uh, Jesus continued to travel throughout the region. This is the Galilean region around the Sea of Galilee. Uh, and he was, as he was going from town to town and city to city, village to village, he was proclaiming and bringing the good news of the kingdom of God. Uh, Jesus is mentioned as now having the 12. Initially, when he started going through the region of Galilee, he did not have the 12, but he called on them. And so now they are mentioned to being with him. And because of this, it's believed that this was Jesus's really second go around, going around to the various villages and towns surrounding of the Sea of Galilee. Now, Jesus had been proclaiming that the kingdom of God is at hand. The Messiah was present, announcing that the one who was declared by John the Baptist to be coming was now present. He was here. He was before them. And as Jesus continued to travel throughout the area, uh, having the, the 12 following Jesus, that was not unusual as far as the 12 were concerned. But what was unusual about this entourage, this group of people who were following him, were these women. Because normally, a rabbi would not have women following in the same group. But apparently, Jesus had a different attitude toward women. It was commonly known that rabbis would not teach women and yet Jesus not only allowed them to sit under his teaching, but also allowed them to minister to him. Because that's what we have described here. They were ministering to him. They were providing not only for him, but also for his disciples, those who were there with him ministering alongside. So the question is, and we have the answer as we read, 
Why were they following Jesus? You know, Tom gave his testimony. Briefly, what took place when he surrendered his life to Jesus Christ. So, we know why it is that he is following Jesus. Although we don't know, uh, if you want to know, you can ask him, everything that he repented of. Um, you know, I'm sure he'll be more than glad to just share that with you. And I'm kidding. In fact, I remind you of what Jesus told the Pharisee when he was explaining to him and bringing a cross to him why it is that the sinful woman was there at the Pharisee's home weeping and wetting Jesus' feet, wiping them with her hair, anointing his feet and kissing him, demonstrating a, a love that is really beyond our comprehension. And he explained to this, this Pharisee how it is that uh, one person was forgiven of uh, five denarii and the other one of 50. And who is it that would love more? And he said, the one that was forgiven of 50. And he said, you answered right. You answered correctly. You see, you and I know that. If you know that you've been forgiven of much, you will love much. But if you've been forgiven of little, our natural inclination is to really not think of it as much of a debt. We ought to be reminded often that our forgiveness has actually placed us in a position in Christ of eternal glory in the presence of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. The alternative to that is eternity separated from God in hell, eternal torment. Why are you following Jesus? Why were they following Jesus? Mary, Joanna. You see, we have these three mentioned here. One who had seven demons cast out of her by Jesus. Says some women who had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities were such that were following Jesus and serving him and so expressing their love for him because he first loved them. This is one of the things we partook of communion. We're reminded of the love that God first demonstrated to us and so that we're reminded once again, ah, that's, that's why, yes, Lord, thank you. Thank you for giving me the proper perspective, the right attitude. Thank you for a course Correction in my own heart. Thank you. It's about you. And I love you. That's what these women were expressing. These women were serving Jesus and so expressing their love for him because he first loved them. 1 John 4.19 says, We love because he first loved us. Without knowing his love first, we really don't know how to love. Uh, the world tries to redefine and, and, or define in, in, in their own way what it is to love. Oftentimes, it's um, 
Well, it's provisional tolerance. It's relative to the person. We need to be careful because we can do the very same thing. But that's what the world does. We need to understand his love. And as we understand his love and we begin to learn what that is and and how he describes it, how he defines love, in fact, he is love, then we are able to ourselves express love. These three women are mentioned by name, Mary Magdalene and Joanna, the wife of Chusa, Herod's household manager, and Susanna. Mary Magdalene was, as we read here, uh, she was demon-possessed. Seven demons. And she was delivered from them, casting them out, Jesus casting them out. Joanna, (laughs) uh, well, she was a woman who was trusted within Herod's court. Interesting, she looked after Uh, King Herod's finances. So she was a trusted woman. And yet we have the polar opposite. We have Mary, who was believed to have been immoral and, and having seven demons cast out of her. She was possessed demonically. And yet they were both following Jesus and ministering to him. Mary... Joanna, Susanna, the twelve, and the others that were following Jesus are described by this Greek word that we are actually familiar with, diakonia, which means deacon or deaconess. You know what that means? It just means servant, to serve. That's what it means, and that's what they were doing. What they all had in common all this, this uh, unusual group that was following Jesus, it seemed they, were, they were just serving him. That's what brought them together. That's what they had in common. Is one, and that's really what should bring us together, what we should have in common. We are here to serve the Lord. And as we do that, we will bring him glory. So this was an unusual group of followers, but we also have the parable that we have before us. Uh, As we read in verses 4 through 8, this was the parable. And when a great crowd was gathering and people from town after town came to him, he said in a parable, a sower went out to sow his seed, and as he sowed, some fell along the path and was trampled underfoot, and the birds of the air devoured it. And some fell on the rock, and as it grew up, it withered away because it had no moisture. And some fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up with it and choked it. And some fell into good soil and grew and yielded a hundredfold. As he said these things, he called out, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Draw close. Listen. Seek to understand. The sower, the seed, the soils, we all have before us. Jesus had actually at this point been teaching uh, them in, in many, many things in, in parables. He had been teaching them in parables. But in particular, we have this teaching recorded by Luke about the sower, the seed, and the soils. Now, this was all familiar to the people who were hearing, who were listening to this parable. This was nothing new to them. In fact, in your own mind, you may have been 
like seeing a, a picture of all of this. Uh, seeds following on the path, on the hard soil. And what happens when it drops on hard soil. And so these people were very familiar with this. Farming, sowing seed, the soils, where the seed would, be, uh, would fall and sown into. And so they would agree with Jesus' teaching, this, this parable. As the farmer goes out to sow, no doubt that the seed will fall in this manner. Number one, some seed will fall along the path. Secondly, some seed will fall on rocky ground, absolutely. Some seed will fall among the thorns, and some seed will fall into good soil. Let's talk about the seed that falls along the path. You know, they would carry the seed in, in sacks. And sometimes um, those sacks were not um, spill-proof. You know, they had little holes, and sometimes the seed would kind of come out. And as they were going into the field, some of the seed would fall um, on the hard path that they would walk. It wasn't intentional. I mean, you, you don't, a farmer will never sow seed on a path. He will never sow seed. That's not his intention. Why? Because he wants to sow the seed in good fertile soil. That's what his intention is. That's what he wants to do. But it happens. But what it commonly happens is when it does fall on hard soil, on a path especially, it sits on top. It has no way to penetrate the soil. And so we know the birds will come and they'll, they'll have lunch. <laughs> they'll just pick at it. They'll, they'll take it away. And that'll be that, right? Um, if you've ever reseeded your lawn, whether you do it by hand or you do it with a, with a little machine that spreads out all the seeds, you know that some of the seed uh, doesn't quite make it onto the grass that you have. It kind of goes onto the sidewalk or the driveway, whatever it is, and you know what's going to happen with that seed. The birds are going to come and they're going to they're eat that. In fact, they try and eat the seed that you used on your lawn. Cover it a little bit with fertilizer and then that'll help out a little bit, but they always come and they try and take it away. So this was the picture that was being drawn in their own minds. Okay, I understand that. Yes, absolutely. Walking the path, that path is hard. It falls. Yes, the birds will come and take it away. Well, let's talk about the seed that fell on rocky ground. Well, it falls on the soil, but sometimes the rocky ground is lying just underneath the topsoil. There's not much to hold on to. This seed will spring up with new life quickly, but because it doesn't have any depth to it, it will be scorched and die when the sun comes, hardly having any moisture at all. Eventually, it will wither away. The roots oftentimes are exposed underneath. It doesn't have anything to hold on to. And so therefore, as the sun beats down on it, it doesn't have any moisture to pull, to draw from, and it withers away and it dies. We, we know this. I mean, these things are, uh, you know, things that we can, it's just common knowledge. You know, it's like, it doesn't have good soil. It's on rocky, in rocky soil, and, and it won't, won't have any strength. Okay, well, let's move on to the seed that fell among the thorns. These are places where the farmer is not aware that there are thorns or weeds also that are growing in the same place where he sows the seed. But, but these thorns are normally overwhelming and take the life right out of the other plants, of the actual plants that they want to grow and produce fruit. 
not allowing them to grow and produce. But the thorns grow with the sown seed and eventually choke it out. Then we have the fourth soil. That's the good soil. The seed that fell into good soil and grew and yielded a hundredfold is what we have. Luke Wright. Consider this. The sower is not the issue. The seed is not the issue. The issue up to this point, and we know it to be true, is the soil. It all depended on what soil the seed fell on, whether it would yield or not yield, whether it would grow or not grow. Again, all of these that were listening to this parable, they were all familiar with this concept, and they knew that what Jesus was saying was true. But the question is, is whether they would understand or not. What was the application? What was the spiritual truth that Jesus was conveying at this moment? You know, if we were to stop right then and there, I can tell you that if you really thought this through, you you understood what Jesus was teaching, we could have a discussion. We, we, We could talk about, hey, you know, I can understand when the word of God falls on the hard path because I can give you some examples of that. When it was in my life that the word of God fell on that hard path and man, Satan just came and snatched that away quick. I've seen it with other people. You, You can begin to talk about these things. Why? Because you are spiritually minded. That's why you can see illustrations in life and you can make a connection between that and the word of God. And then you can test it whether it aligns with the word of God or it doesn't align with, with the word of God. But really, that's the test. Whether they will understand what this means and apply it. But Jesus will explain. He does that in a moment. And again, some of you are already understanding this parable and how it pertains to you without it even being explained to you. Others aren't too sure. In fact, the disciples weren't sure in that day. And so Jesus explains. First, he explains the purpose, then the parable itself. So let's go on. Verse 9 says, And when his disciples asked him what this parable meant, he said, To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of God. But for others, they are in parables. So that seeing they may not see, and hearing they may not understand. And we'll stop there. The purpose of the parable. Uh, it's important that the, the disciples ask questions, right? So, and they did. They wanted to genuinely, they genuinely wanted to know what this parable meant. And they wanted to know what he was referring to. What was, what was Jesus trying to get across to them in that moment? But before we get into the parable, Jesus wanted to make sure that they understood why he taught the parables. You see, parables were to serve as tests of sincerity. You can say that Jesus would tell the parable, and if the person is interested, then they would continue to listen and seek to understand pretty much how the disciples did it. What exactly do you mean by that? We want to know that you would make it clear in my own mind and my own heart what you are conveying. What, what is the message that you have for us through this parable? Whereas others who really weren't interested would not seek to understand. Kind of like listening, 
okay. But then not go any further. I heard it, but I, I don't know exactly what that means, but I'm sure he has a meaning. I'm sure he said it for a reason, but I just, I don't, I don't understand, and I, I really don't want to understand. Being indifferent. Parables, that's what he was telling them. It's been given to you to know the secrets of the kingdom of God, but for others they are in parables, so that seeing they may not see. Now, we understand God's character. He desires that none perish, but that all reach repentance, right? We just read the purpose that uh, John wrote the Gospel of John. That by knowing these things, you may believe in the Son of God and therefore have eternal life. So is it that Jesus was saying, well, it's, it's given to you, but really not for others because they're reserved for condemnation? No, that, that wouldn't align with God's character because he desires that none perish. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son. So it's not that. So what does it mean? It means that it's, it's given to those to, for those to understand who actually lend an ear to the Lord and seek to understand. Draw closer. As you draw near to God, he will draw near to you. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Seek me, and you will find me. And so for those who do that, he says, it's been reserved for you to know these things. Again, what we see here is that what is constant is what is sown. That is the word. But the variable is the soil. It's not a matter of finances. It's not a matter of... Uh, Farming itself that is perhaps the problem to fix, nor is it the farmer. It's not a problem with the farmer that needs, perhaps he needs further training. He drops him on the, on the path. No, no, uh, it, it did drop, but uh, that wasn't the intention. You know, rocky soil, among thorns. It's not, it's a soil in which it was dropped. It's a soil problem where the seed or the word falls Onto or into. Parables are used to get someone's attention and draw them toward a spiritual truth and to gain an understanding of its application. A person who does not desire to understand will not. You can't force someone to understand something that they just don't desire to understand. They will not seek to understand and inevitably fail to apply its truth. But then it is explained. Jesus goes on to explain it. Verse 11 it says, now the parable is this. The seed is the word of God. The ones along the path are those who have heard. Then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so that they may not believe and be saved. And the ones on the rock are those who, when they hear the word, receive it with joy. But these have no root. They believe for a while and in time of testing fall away. And as for what fell among the thorns, they are those who hear, 
But as they go on their way, they are choked by the cares and riches and pleasures of life, and their fruit does not mature. As for that, in the good soil, they are those who, hearing the word, hold it fast in an honest and good heart, and bear fruit with patience. The seed, the word of God, clear, right? The word of God, we have it here. Jesus is saying the seed is the word of God. The soils are the hearts of the people who hear the word of God. The sower is the one who speaks the word of God. The sower sows the word. So the soil is explained uh, that uh, was along the path. In verse 12, it says the ones along the path are those who have heard. Then the, the, the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so that they may not believe and be saved. Salvation is snatched away from them. They hear it. They hear the same thing. But immediately upon hearing the word of God, and it may be like immediately afterwards or at the same time, there's these thoughts that are going on in the minds of the person who's hearing these words. And they allow Satan to just come and snatch the word from them. It's the condition of their heart. That's the soil. But notice that the purpose of the devil taking away the word from their hearts is so that they won't believe and they won't be saved. It's a spiritual battle. You've heard the same thing, but that is his intention. To make sure that they don't believe and that they're not saved. There are people who hear the word and never give it a second thought. Or immediately they have a quote-unquote friend who starts mocking God or their own reasoning convinces them it's not true. And the word is quickly taken away. Hey, listen. It has nothing to do with the friend or any outside influence whatsoever. What those things do, it actually just simply reveals the heart of the individual. That's what that does. It reveals the soil. It's like it being covered in, in the friend simply, or whatever else, simply taking that cover off and revealing, oh, that's a path. That's hardened soil. That's why Satan was able to quickly just snatch up that, that seed that fell on that heart. That's all it does, is it reveals the hardness of a heart. And that's why we ought to pray for those who hear the gospel time and time again, friends, family, neighbors, co-workers, whoever it is, pray for them because it's a spiritual battle. We need God to soften their hearts. We need God to do the work. And as you pray, don't lose heart, continue to share the gospel with them. And hopefully at some point it falls in that good soil. The soil of the rocky ground is explained. 13, verse 13 says, And the ones on the rock are those who, when they hear the word, receive it with joy. But these have no root. They believe for a while and in time of testing fall away. These are people who hear the word and immediately there is an explosive, enthusiastic response to it. That was radical. I was like, that's amazing. 
the change that took place in that person. But hold tight. Hold tight. They haven't been tested yet. My hope is always that that person who initially has like a radical conversion, that they be strengthened, that they continue to fellowship on a regular basis, that they would be, uh, their, their faith would deepen in the Lord, their knowledge of the word would increase, that, they, uh, that, that as they meditate on, or memorize the word of God, they may be able to meditate on it and it would serve as a lamp to their feet and a light to their path. Because these people are described as coming, being very excited, responding to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Their worship is amazing. Their fellowship is consistent for a time. It's all about Jesus and the church. Like, let's, go, let's do this thing. Let's serve him. And then, gone. Hey, where? You, remember so-and-so? They, Come like regularly, serving everything. It was so good. I don't know what happened. What happened is that they were tested and they were found wanting in that moment. With this parable, we don't have to wonder anymore. They had no root in themselves. When tribulation or persecution came, when testing came, they just simply fell away. You can, you can convince someone to come back, but unless they themselves, again, it's the individual, it's the person, unless they are deeply rooted in the Lord, and the word is deeply rooted in their hearts, they will continually draw away. Continually. That... that is, by the way, a warning to you. If you are not in the Word, if you are not having communion with the Lord, that devotional time with Him, it's just a matter of time. Just a matter of time before your heart grows cold towards the things of the Lord and the Lord Himself, and you will find yourself in compromise. It's just a matter of time. No matter how good they looked when they were genuinely tested. They couldn't take the heat and they would run. In this parable, they would, they would die. That's what the parable is. They would die, spiritually dead. This means the roots were not rooted deeply in good soil, but in the topsoil of perhaps someone else or something else. Could be family, Parents, friends, a youth program, church, activities that in the moment you like and favor and a particular pastor, the environment created, the experience felt. and I mean, the list can go on. If that's what you're looking at, your roots are not grounded in the right manner in Jesus Christ. C.H. Spurgeon said this, quote, Doctrine without feeling, experience without humiliation, practice without heart love, faith without repentance, confidence without reservation, action without spirituality, and zeal without communion. By the way, this is what Spurgeon was describing as a heart that was lacking moisture 
the very one that eventually would die off when the testing comes. The soil among thorns, verse 14. And as for what fell among the thorns, there are those who hear, but as they go on their way, they are choked by the cares and riches and pleasures of life, and their fruit does not mature. Um, this soil is, is perhaps too good. And I'll explain that. It's too good, man. It doesn't discriminate. Everything that could grow, just grow in it. Just grow. Weeds and all. I want to see it all thrive. These people hear the word, but there are three things noted here that grow with the word. And eventually choke it out and it proves unfruitful. Number one was the cares of the world. Choked by the cares. Listen, everyone has responsibilities. But they are not valid excuses as to why a person can't faithfully live and serve the Lord. And give focused care to the application of the word. Those things, there's, there's no reason why our individual responsibilities need to choke out those things. Because they're in line with the word. To top it off, let's talk about worry and anxiety. There are so many people on medication because they just can't handle it. Right? Anxiety, worry, it's just being overwhelmed with the things of the world. Listen to worry. This is the bottom line. And this goes for everyone. It applies to all of us. Okay? Did you know to worry is, is to sin? To be anxious is to sin? It's sin. We need to confess those things and repent. For the Christian, when we realize that, when we realize, you know what, I'm anxious about these things, we should think, oh, Philippians 4, 6, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God that surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Well, you don't know my problems. My problems are better than your problems. They're bigger than your problems. And so I need more help, more care. No, you just need to confess and repent, just like everyone else. So put your big boy pants on. Okay? You don't need counseling. You just need to be mindful of the word of God. And in case you think I'm not being compassionate, just please tell me what the word of God says, please. Please. And tell me if it says anything different. When we know that this is contrary to the word of God, at that very moment, we can't make an excuse. It's trying to justify our own sin. I want to stay in it. No, the, the word does not give you that allowance. It just means that you're thinking more of yourself. That's what that means. You can go to Matthew 6.34, Philippians 4.6, and you can go to other places too. Now, does that mean that we don't have compassion? Absolutely. But we do not enable others in their sin either. In other words, we don't continually, you know, say, yeah, you know what, you're right. You have every 
justifiable reason why you should be worrying right now. In fact, now you got me worrying, and I'm anxious about many things. And so, no, we don't do that, right? That's why we admonish, we come alongside, and we share the truth. Faithful are the, the wounds of a friend, but profuse are the kisses of an enemy. But to place the, the world before God is idolatry, just continue with the cares of the world, that, that this is the very thing that could choke the life out of you. Matthew chapter 16, verse 24 says, Then Jesus told his disciples, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? And so we understand the concerns of the world can become the cancers of the heart, which end up killing the life of the individual. Secondly, riches. The deceitfulness of rich, riches. Now listen, money itself is a tool. Material goods are instruments. They're, they're tools. But they should never be what you dedicate yourself to. Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 through 21 says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. In Matthew 6, 24, No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other, you cannot serve God and money. Be careful with riches. Be careful with the accumulation of things because they can choke the life right out of you. You get preoccupied with it. And soon you find yourself just trying to maintain that. Third thing, the pleasures of life. Just the desires for other things that will be pleasing to us. Me, myself, and I, right? It's, it's all, do you notice it's all centered on the person, the individual. In case we don't get it with the previous two, there is the overall desires or the pleasures of life, the other things, whatever that may be. If you, have, if you place it before God in his worship as he has prescribed, then you have made up your own God in your own image, and it serves to choke out the word, and you are proven to be unfruitful. John 10.10, 10, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Lastly, the good soil. Verse 15, as for that in the good soil, they are those who hearing the word hold it fast in an honest and good heart and bear fruit with patience, long suffering, uh, endure, they are consistent. They hear the word, they receive the word. By the way, that never stops. It's just hearing the word, receiving the word, hearing the word, receiving the word, hearing the word, receiving the word, applying the word. But this requires humility, surrender, belief, believing that the word of God is true and is applicable to oneself, and then surrendering to its governing authority in the person and in every sense. Psalm chapter 1, verse 1 says, Blessed is a man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, 
nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. It is this soil that bears much fruit, that brings much glory to God. John 14 4 and 5, Jesus said, Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me, in me, and uh, I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. As we now go back to this unusual set of followers, we begin to understand that outwardly they may have been a motley crew. (laughs) Fishermen, tax collectors, a woman that was possessed at one point by all these demons. We have one that was uh, trusted by King Herod and took care of his finances. I mean, just a, just a mixture of people that were following him. But then we begin to understand their heart. Their heart. Oh, it was that soil that heard the words of Christ himself. And their hearts were beginning to bear much fruit. They were filled with gratitude and so expressed it. They were bearing much fruit of repentance, humility, surrender to Jesus Christ. Sometimes we blame our circumstances, the cares of the world. We, we can blame all kinds of other things, but I would beg you to not do that. Don't do that. Just be mindful of what God desires for you. That we would be a people who, who do tend to the soil. We do draw near to the Lord. We have that devotional time in his word. And we express our love for him because we are grateful for the salvation that he has, he has extended to you and I, the gift of salvation by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. Because we can blame all kinds of other things, but it really comes down to the soil, the person. You will not be able to blame anyone else when you stand before the Lord. Nothing and no one else. It's just you. If the soil is good intended to and the sown seed will take root, be strong, produce fruit. If not, then eventually you will die spiritually. You'll produce no fruit whatsoever, and you will turn away from the Lord. You may still be present, but your heart is far from the Lord. I would pray that we would, we would humble ourselves before the Lord. That if that's perhaps where you find yourself, just somewhere in between, hey, listen, you need to confess and repent. There's, there's nothing more that you need to do. It's just, just that. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If you're here and you don't know salvation in Jesus Christ, I pray that today be the day of salvation. All sinned and fall short of the glory of God. 
There is salvation in no other name, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. It's only Jesus Christ. Everyone who confesses that Jesus is Lord, that he has died for your sins, was buried and was resurrected three days later. To you, to the one who believes, just as John said, that the, the purpose of the gospel was that you may believe and have eternal life. And so it is you that calls upon the name of the Lord as Lord and Savior, Jesus, that you will know salvation. And so I pray that this morning would be that for you, if you do not know salvation. For everyone else, may we have the fertile soil, the, the, the soil of our hearts be fertile so that the word of God not only may take root, but produce much fruit. Amen? All right, let's pray. Father, we thank you, Lord, for this time in your word. We ask, Lord, that, Lord, you would remind us of this very, of your word, Lord, of Luke chapter 8, and these 15 verses that we just studied. Lord, that our hearts would be ready to receive your word, and, and Lord, that your word would take root and produce fruit fitting of the salvation that we have come to know in Jesus Christ and Lord that we may express our love for you just as this, uh, this group of people that, was, that were following you and Lord we're doing in that day and so we thank you Lord we commit ourselves to you once more and we pray this in Jesus name Amen mm-hmm.